Hello and welcome to a new episode of Pat's Chat. Today, I'm very blessed to have Mallory Loon with me. Uh, Mallory, thank you very much for making the time and joining me today. Thank you for having me and nice to be here. <laughs> very nice. Uh, as I said, I feel very blessed because I know you're all over the, the place, very occupied. You're the co-founder and lead trainer at Work Inspires. You are a mentor and judge at uh, different various uh, startup events, committee member of uh, Tulips Movement and a women-centered Malaysian-based community interest company. Um, three times TEDx speaker, very impressive also. Uh, again, that's why I'm very blessed. I feel very blessed, really honored you, you're on my show. Are you like uh, uh, hyperactive or were you hyperactive that you need to do like all this stuff or how, how can you manage to bring <laughs> this all under one umbrella? It's really impressive. I actually learned about how I work when I started failing my exam. So fun fact is that I studied ACCA, right? I did accountancy. Uh, they, unlike most degree, do not come with internship, doesn't come with assignment. It's just like study and then six months later, you go regurgitate what you've memorized. That's basically, you know, those papers for you. And I started failing the paper towards the end because I was too free. Like I had too much time. So people usually go, okay, you have one subject in six months, you would pass it, right? But I couldn't because I, I couldn't study anymore. I was just bored. So when I started picking up things, so that's when I studied part-time, went to work full-time, started doing a few projects. Then I realized that, oh, I became a lot more focused when I had a very limited time to study. Hence why till today, when it comes to work, I have to juggle numerous hats and do multiple things. If not, I don't think I can do a good job. <laughs> I feel too free. Awesome. Um, as I just mentioned it, you studied uh, accounting, applied accounting, uh, but you yeah. never really worked in that uh, subject matter. Is that, is that correct? Uh, my mother agree with you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I study uh, study accounting at first. It's like just because you didn't know what to study uh, else, or was it something um, of your interest? Here in Asia, interest? we have something called you either be a doctor, lawyer, engineer, or accountant. So I didn't do very well in sciences, so I'm left with accountancy. So that's basically what happened. Um, I remember on my first day, or to be honest, I didn't even know what ACC was. All I knew was when I went to um, university, so I went to Sunway University, and it was an orientation day, and we had this lecturer that was telling us what the course was about, and he was hilarious. He's like you. He's always making jokes. He's always smiling. He's always laughing. And my mother felt completely in love with it. So she decided that my daughter is going to study that course because the lecturer was very good. <laughs> and that night, that afternoon itself, I went to sign up. Hence how I... I wasn't really, I wouldn't say that I didn't like it. I appreciate what I studied. I'm grateful for the experience. Mm -hmm. Did I apply a lot of it? Not really. Yeah. Um, Not really, I just yeah. applied a handful of what I need to know. It yeah. does help with conversation starters. Like, you know, people will be, how did you wear from accountancy to starting a business? Yeah, it's like kind of an icebreaker, right? Yeah, yeah, it's a good conversation starter. <laughs> so if you're not too sure what you do, just say, fun fact, I studied accountancy. And they'll look at you and go, what? <laughs> Which In part of you look like an accountant? Uh, yeah, true. Also, um, 
But if um, if I look at the, one of the TEDx uh, speeches that you had, um, I think that was the push before you shatter, right? You explained a yes. little bit that you were so unsure what to do and just try different things also. Um, you eventually moved into a company, um, what was that, Thriving Talents, I think. You worked there almost for five years as a, yeah. as a trainer. Is, is that where you like found your passion really is like being uh, or coaching other that. people? <laughs> It was before that. It was before that. Okay, so a bit about my life story. I after ACCA, I yes, you're right. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I was a bit lost because I didn't have time to think about what I wanted to do after I graduate. It was just like everything was rushed. So when I went for job interviews, I decided to play the narrow, you know, your elimination game. So I applied for jobs in sales and marketing, HR, finance, and operations hoping that you know if i only get finance then hey i know it's for me but apparently not i got job offers in sales and marketing hr business development and finance so it didn't make life any easy um but i did meet somebody that changed my perspective of a lot of things so i went for a job interview with uh, general electric at the time and it was for their financial management program and i met the most fun interviewer ever we had like almost two hours of endless conversations <laughs> while having an interview. Okay. It was really good. We were talking about Formula One to, you know, traveling and then business and then work. At the end of the conversation, um, so I thought I got a job, but I didn't. And when I asked for feedback, he told me that he explained that perhaps I'm not suitable to be in finance. I should do something more people-oriented kind of suit my personality um, better. Okay. And because they didn't have a vacancy at that point for any people-related role, he couldn't hire me. Mm. But he told me to really think about it. So that's where that that was the light bulb moment I needed. Um, to be honest, it made me even more depressed because I studied ACC for five years, four years. And I was like crying after my exams and very <laughs> emotionally troubling. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but after all that trouble, you said that, hey, Mallory, you're in the wrong course. That's in summary, what I heard, but I took his advice. So I went to join an uh, NGO under the Ministry of Finance, uh, also under a finance agency called Cradle, yeah, Cradle okay. Fund Centre Bahad. So I joined Cradle and uh, as their NGO team. So I was running an entrepreneurship NGO. Basically, I had to go around to all campus in Malaysia, telling young people to think about entrepreneurship as a choice. That's where I found what I really like. Uh, to do which is in people development because I realized there are a lot of young people out there like me who are lost and so ta-da that's where I decided okay you know what <laughs> this is where you can find your footing of helping these young people that's after that is when I joined Traveling Talents so Traveling Talents I actually uh, co-founded with my former business partner together with mm. two other investors and okay. after five years okay. there I realized that yeah time to move Time to move on. Yeah. Okay. Oh, Time that's impressive. I, I like the story. So basically during a job interview where eventually you did not get the job, but you got like a kind of a coaching. The best life uh, yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> that changed your entire life. And uh, that that's cool. A, an awesome story. And you just mentioned like after the, the five years in the, in the company, you wanted to make a change, um, become an entrepreneur, start a new thing, uh, which you did with um, uh, 
work inspires. Um, but uh, let us know a little bit more about like your motivation, the triggers that like after this time you're working in a, in a corporate, even you co-founded, you, you needed a change. You wanted to do something else. Yeah, I think one lesson I wish everybody would know or someone would tell me before I started was, Mallory, before you start a business, you got to know yourself. Because if you don't know who you are and what are the values that you stand for, what are some things that drives you, what are some things that actually keeps you driven and focused on what you want to achieve, you tend to sway very easily. So that's what happened to me. I mean, that time I was fairly young, I was like, 22, I think, or 21, 22. So I didn't have much time to really think about, neither did I know what it's like to think about who you are and what you stand for, things like that. So when, after running a business for about five years, I actually became like a walking zombie in office. I came to work, I came to work at seven and I sleep till nine before I start my work because I'm just so tired all the time. I would wake up in the middle of the night and go, have I sent my proposal? Did I make the amendment? I would be sick and still crawling out of bed just to reply emails. So that's how bad it became for me that I didn't know how to separate my work, my life and my health deteriorated. A lot of things were very tiring for me. So, and that's also when, when we had a lot of conversation about the direction of the business, I realized that I'm not really happy with where things are going uh, for myself. And I, I tend to question like, why are we doing this? Is this effective? So that's when after a conversation with all my investors, I decided that, okay, it's best for me to exit and go and do something that I'm focused on. So now the difference is when it comes to building what inspires today, I really am very focused on not just me, but the whole team, my co-founder. Um, we are very focused on delivering results. Mm-hmm. Very focused on results. So we will do whatever it takes to make sure that whatever that the client suggests become actual tangible results. Mm-hmm. And yeah. we have had experiences where we turned down training opportunities because we felt that training is not what they needed. And we actually tell them up front that you don't need to spend so much money on training. People would say you're a very naive entrepreneur, but um, it holds true to our values of focusing on value adding and focusing on results. Mm-hmm. So we actually say things to our client, like you don't need to pay so much for training. You just need to pay for a half-day facilitated conversation. And they're looking at us like, what? We are offering to pay you and you're <laughs> telling me that it's okay to take want. a discount because <laughs> you don't need this. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, that's what I'm doing. That's what indeed. But, uh, yeah, I'm, I mean, but the thing is, it builds a lot of good relationship. I, I agree with that. I mean, it's a more on the long-term approach, right? You don't sell something the company doesn't need, but then they will come back to you when they really need what, what you're offering. And let's let's dig into that, what you're really offering. Uh, you say Work and Spice is a people engagement company, but uh, maybe you can uh, take two, three minutes to explain what you're really doing in this uh, uh, aspect. Okay. I'll summarize it <laughs> in a way. Yes, so yes. Work Inspires, yes, we are a people engagement and development company. So essentially what we work with companies are in four pillars. The first pillar is in hiring and also in assessments. So we do work with companies on onboarding programs, uh, young management training programs, so on. Second one is in learning development. Third one is in culture transformation or engagement. So we do work with companies on a corporate-wide 
um, or national-wide initiative that they want to implement, for example, leadership change, cultural change, and so on and so forth. And of course, the last one is in now. Um, the term is team rebuilding because everybody is, you know, back at home. And, you know, the, the pandemic shifted a lot of our culture. It shifted a lot about how the team dynamics work. So it's a lot more rebuilding what the team should be in order to drive the new norm forward in some way. So those are the four pillars of what we do. Very nicely summarized. Thank you so much for that. And um, I think we, we focus on one of the pillars, right, in this uh, in this chat. Uh, we, we discussed this uh, about the cultural uh, change, right? That is like, uh, it's also a nice topic because uh, I, I told you I just came out of my uh, MBA program and we talk a lot about uh, culture. So I'm very interested in that. But I think also it's a highly interesting uh, topic for, for everyone, uh, especially Actually, um, we, we discussed about uh, two triggers, right? One is the digitalization. One is the, well, it's obviously COVID that changes the cultures of um, companies or in the other way, companies have to change the, their culture to, to adopt. Um, and maybe it's even interrelated. I mean, some companies like from my experience now finally figured out because of COVID, they had to go digital, right? Which before is like, Ah, just let's continue as we did for the past 30 years. It's a little bit related. Well, let's focus on the on the digitalization uh, part today. Um, so how, like, let's say, uh, let's start first with like, how, um, what is the main effect? How, how would you define like, what is the main changes that you see in the, in the corporate culture that need to change when it comes to digitalization? Yeah. I think I just give a bit of context first. Like generally what forms culture is people. And over the years, um, you would understand that, you know, there are about three, no, four to five generations working in company at the same time. So you have your you know, new fresh grads, Gen Z, super happy, very good with technology. And then you still have the baby boomers in their 60s figuring out how to screenshot their phone. So you have a very vast difference in terms of who they are and what they expect technology to be. So when it comes to digitalization, the problem is when companies do not have a clear goal or communication about why you need to digitalize or what digitalization is, in fact, it causes fear due to uncertainty. So when you have fear, for example, you have at one point people debating, will technology take over jobs? As simple thing as that. And you have a generation that says that, oh, thank God for technology, make life easier. And you have another handful of, tech of generation that say that no, technology is going to take over my current paperwork. Means I'm going to be out of job. So imagine if you do not create a very clear sense of communication that, hey, we are here to enable you with all this digitalization process in a way that makes your life easier so you can go home on time. You do not need to have overtime. You do not need to work where you file your paper and employees will be able to accept it more. But the challenge is that everybody wants to roll it out, but nobody wants to talk about it. And when no one talks about it in a clear manner, people panic. And when people panic, like panic buying, what do they do? They panic spread rumors or gossips or questions that, do you hear boss is going to roll something out? It's going to take over our jobs. And that spread like wildfire. So that's how, that's how culture gets come up. When you have all this um, miscommunication, 
this gap appears between people and what the goal is, and that's how it causes culture distress. Mm -hmm. I mean, you you just mentioned a couple of uh, challenges, right? One is on the on the uh, generation gap, uh, which is yeah. obvious because you have like uh, digital natives and uh, um, uh, and the older generation, let's say, that did not grow up with a digital device or in a digital way. But also, you I hear like one of the challenges is like the leadership, right? Like, how do you find define the targets and also how you communicate. Um, so, so when you look at this aspect from a from a leadership uh, point of view, I mean, how does the leadership need to change or influence the corporate culture? Yeah, I think like when it comes to leaders, it's not all leaders are always on the same page. Let's put it that way. <laughs> not all leaders are always on the same page. So you have some leaders who are a bit more people oriented and people centric. So they tend to have better communication styles and they have better leadership styles. So they take time to communicate with their teams. On the other hand, you have leaders who might not agree with what the company direction is, but hey, it's a job. We're going to do the job, right? So hence why they would just execute. So when you have employees asking, hey, boss, um, why are we doing this? The boss will answer, don't ask, just do, because do as you're told. Hence, because the boss himself or herself do not agree with such process. So if you ask me, what are some, maybe one or two key things that leaders can do is number one, all leaders need to take time to align their goals. You cannot have um, CEO saying A, CHRO saying B, and COO saying C. And among leaders, it's also important for them to have a very clear sense of message Like, okay, across all departments, these are things that all leaders need to advocate, speak about, and do. Not, it's not a HR job. It's not a finance job. It's, you cannot have the finance person saying that, oh, it's not my job to communicate with people. It's your job, so go do it. You can't have that either. And hence why it's important for everybody to speak the same language, um, agree on the same topics, the cause, the objectives, and go speak to people about it. Number three is do not afraid to speak. Uh, number two is do not be afraid to speak about the negative effect of such digitalization plan or process. Because, I mean, like all things that you are changing, some changes are good, some changes are not so good. And some changes are would have some negative effect, like maybe certain departments have to merge or there, there might be some sort of retrenchment going on due to you know budget cuts or there might be a change in terms of the way each other communicate or how you communicate with customers, so on and so forth. So there might be some hostile um, things that your stakeholders might be coming back at you and how are you going to face it. So don't be afraid to speak about A lot of times companies speak about the good things. Hey, this is why you should digitalize. But nobody tells you that, oh, these are some side effects. Let's talk about like the vaccine, right? Good thing is, hey, these are the vaccine is good for you. But there might be some side effects that you need to know. So that's how you should communicate digitalization. This is why it's good and it will help you with your job. But there are some side effects you need to take note of, such as... You know, maybe some customers might be questioning you about certain things. Sometimes, you know, you might have some colleagues that you need to explain certain things more about. And you might need to help the other generations that are not so tech-savvy. So these are the side effects that come with it. And companies should not be afraid to talk about such things and take action, not send an FAQ out and say, oh, by the way, read this if you have time. These are the terms and conditions. You know, don't mm -hmm. do that. 
Yeah. Uh, and the last thing, if you ask me what uh, leaders can do as well, is to also ask, go back to the drawing board and ask themselves, do you need to roll it out wide or can you do it in pilot and step-by-step process? Like we always advocate um, leaders to call uh, in any culture change for that matter to have culture ambassadors. So these are people that are not of all, uh, people consist of all generations and from different departments and mindsets, but all in agreement of this culture. And when these ambassadors actually go out um, to execute the task, they are also your best word of mouth to be able to explain to their colleagues and friends and um, people of concerns in the department and to maybe be like a little... Uh, I wouldn't want to use the word spy, but like a little spy, you and go boss, um, this department is a bit worried. Maybe you should talk to them. So at least you have people who actually advocate it on behalf, not just say. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay. I, I hear uh, the very nice analogy you, you used, like compared to the vaccination. Uh, I think what we can take from that also is like, it's not a one day thing, right? It's not like you just get a chap and then it's done. Uh, same for the cultural changes, right? You cannot just say, okay, now we become a digital company and then that's it. Um, it is obviously a, a process. Um, a process that might be triggered by by the top management, um, but it can also be that it's triggered by the by the um, let's say by the younger generations, right? Because they obviously want to uh, move into digital and make uh, use of this uh, digital benefits. Also, like I mean, the the entire work uh, environment or workplace itself right i'm talking about like flexible workplaces flexible work times also um do you agree with that is it something like that is can be also a bottom-up approach or what is your experience how this usually works okay i think uh, i i really like the point from the waters out approach like it's very true because if let's say the people want something and look at the current situation okay when the people suggest uh, the voice of the people are very strong to the point that they can make certain changes the petitions the the um debates that people can have actually cause changes in climate change it cause changes in policies cause changes around the world so similarly in an organization a good culture would be one where there is a two-way flow of communication so meaning the leaders need to be able to accept a bottom-up suggestion as much as the bottom needs to accept why the leader need to implement certain changes. So it's not a one-way flow conversation and there are some suggestions that can come from the bottom. But here's the reality of things, right? The people mindset may not be so ready for it. It's very easy when you come in as a maybe one, two-year management trainee or you are at a certain manager or junior manager level and you have this big idea that, hey, I want the company to be doing so many things because I've seen this company do it, that works, you know, this is a new thing, we should get on board. It's very easy to look at it at, from an external perspective and say why they want it. But we've often faced that they do not think strategically, they do not understand at the top what are some of the challenges and messages they might do and all that um, that they have to solve they have to firefight they have to fix you can't say that oh we should you know implement this kind of work for, uh, workforce or work flexibility but on the other hand when you 
the middle level, you might realize that work flexibility is not something that they can comprehend, for example. Um, at one point, gener a lot of generation would say that, yes, you should work from home because, I mean, one thing is about lesser commuting time, but they forgot to think of the people with small kids and toddlers. Imagine working with them 24-7 a day. It's difficult. So you don't think of it as simple as that level. You don't think of it that way. You just wanted it because it's at your convenience. So I would highly suggest for any organization, if you want to really drive culture with digitalization, is to take into account uh, if you want to suggest, let's say I'm a young person, young talent in the company, and I really want to suggest this good idea, it's to bring it up to your management, but also bring it up in the points where, okay, what are the strategy level that you can have? at this point, like based on the current situation, worst case scenario, things like that, that your leaders will need to think about and you don't often think about because you're not exposed, um, put it up with suggestions. Of course, as a leader as well, it's expensive or it's not possible because, you know, it's difficult to do. It's not possible because it's not an Asian thing. Don't, don't do that. Um, or be open to suggestions and ideas. And, for me, I always tell all the department leaders, rule of thumb is actually spend 48 hours looking at the idea before you say no. My rule of thumb, always spend 24. The reason why I put 48 is because 24 hours, you would spend 23 hours grumbling about why it's bad and then one <laughs> hour to look at it. But when I say 48 hours, you can spend 24 hours grumbling about why it's bad and you spend the next 24 hours looking at, you know, why not? So <laughs> I always tell all leaders, whatever ideas that your staff or people or young or old, anyone who gives you for that matter, 48 hours rule of thumb. After 48 hours, you can say no, provided you actually look at it for 48 hours. Nice. I like that. So you also have two nights to sleep over it, basically. Yes, correct. Don't make rash <laughs> decisions based on emotion, people. It's okay, not good. Cool. I have one more topic which uh, goes into this, and um, this is uh, the work from home. We are, we are getting into uh, MCO3, uh, already yeah. are in, and uh, more people will work from home again. I heard, uh, or I was listening to one of the BFM talks you were giving, um, where it was very talked about uh, the work from home, the micromanagement uh, aspects, right? This is like a tendency that is possible because maybe also um well companies were not used to it um that that now they have no direct control over their employees or see what they're doing but now we are already like one and a half year later before the first lockdown or mco that we had in malaysia do you see like uh, uh do you see like um, a relevant change already in the mindset of many of uh, these managers when it comes to work from home? I think, okay, BFM actually brought up a very interesting topic as well, uh, similar to this. The topic was for micromanagers. Ironically, they brought it up like almost a year after the pandemic. So what, uh, what I and what we've worked with on companies as well is that the good news is working from home is no longer you know, a very difficult thing because everybody would have the resources ready compared to the first lockdown, right? The first lockdown, it was like 48-hour notice. We had to scramble everything just to get everybody home, get the internet up and things like that. However, you know, okay, I'm going to give you a very simple analogy. Let's say every single day you go to work, um, you go to the office, eventually you'll reach to a point where it becomes a norm to slack off. 
Like at, when you were starting your first day on the job, what do you do? You'll be the earliest there, 30 minutes before. You want to read before your work starts. You know, you're very gung-ho about delivering. One year later, you may not be as enthusiastic uh, or excited, uh, excited as you were one year ago, right? And then last time, one year ago, when you first started your, you know, your job, you'll work overtime without complaint. One year later, you will definitely complain if you have to work overtime. So similarly with this work from home culture, exact same analogy. So what we've noticed is that, yes, um, the first MCO, everybody was very gung-ho, like, oh, you know, how do we make the best out of it? Of course, there are some concerns with managers in terms of measuring productivity because March is also a bonus payout month. So everybody had to really count into the how do we count performance reviews and all those things. Uh, good news is companies changed it. So a lot of companies have moved towards a results-driven performance review rather than just a, you know, how long you clock in and clock out performance review. However, um, as we see, people are also ten, uh, tend to slack off a bit now that they are comfortable at home. So at one point, that gung ho like how you were on your first day on the job, is no longer there. And people tend to be like, okay, meeting is at 9.30, so I'll come in 9.25. Last time, when you first time work from home, you'll come in at 9.15 or 9 o'clock, hoping to check the internet, make sure the connection is good, uh, you know, make sure you read. Now, you just come in 9.25. <laughs> Without anything, okay? With the excuse, I can't turn on my camera, I can't turn on my mic. Sorry, not convenient. I'll just type. Exact same thing. So because of that, there turned out a lot of micro, uh, micro managers are popping up because they feel that I can feel the distance. There's a sense of this is also where culture comes in. There is a culture shift in the way team dynamics used to be. I mean, like once upon a time, you're seeing everybody in your face and now you're seeing everybody using the screens of people without seeing their face because everyone's camera is off. <coughs> so you don't even have the proper dynamics anymore. Mm. So I think a lot of leaders can feel it, like managers definitely can feel it but they just don't know what else can they do about it because of this work from home thing yeah, they don't yeah. know people are getting zoom fatigue or you know video fatigue mm -hmm. they at, when MCO started and of any company do any engagement virtual workout virtual lunch session everybody gets excited because oh thing yeah and now if <laughs> your boss says let's do a virtual lunch session again again yeah, yeah. let's do a virtual workout <laughs> But but oh, so but you have, you you brought up a very very interesting point. I just want to uh, touch on this one uh, maybe as a last item because you just mentioned that okay there's uh, like these micromanagers out there right and we as employees would most probably complain about that oh my boss micromanager he check everything I'm doing but the point you just mentioned is like maybe it is also due to yourself, right? Because of the employee is forcing the manager to become a micromanager. So, so uh, maybe you have like one or two tips or hints for an employee to make sure that uh, your manager doesn't become uh, or doesn't need to become a micromanager. My first tip would be update your manager before they ask. Because people only micromanage when they can't, it's like they know that, let's say, for example, a deadline is tomorrow and up to today, I've not gotten a single word from you. I'm a bit worried. And I can't see you. I can't walk up to you and just ask. I can't simply call you because, you know, you might be busy with your kid or taking care of things at home. I will just ping you a couple of times a message and hoping that you reply me. So it's difficult for the managers when they cannot get answers on the spot. So what we always suggest is 
if you're you feel that your manager is starting to you know every five ten minutes asking you hey have you got this ready have you gotten that ready make it a point to always update them at least a day before so that they are aware and they they feel a bit at ease so that's what the employees can do and as for the and managers a tip for you is that if you notice you're feeling this a bit of anxiety where you cannot get answers or you know you feel that your team dynamic is a bit slacking um have a very serious conversation with them about it um because more often than not the people can't take sudden change in behavior but they can take feedback so have a very frank conversation and just tell them that yes we understand this book from home thing with all the family the kids going to school and they're not going to school at the same time um, is taking a toll on everybody just take five minutes to ask how's everybody coping with things at home and just share that honestly as a manager you are feeling the sudden stress and you are also feeling this team dynamics that's a bit loose at this point so what can everybody work together to fix so when you are frank with why you are doing this people will understand and then when they understand they can you know empathize rather than gossip i always say it's always better to call the white elephant than to wait for the white elephant to become bigger <laughs> okay awesome i like that thank you so much uh mallory the half hour passed so fast it's uh crazy i know we had a lot more topics to discuss maybe i have to invite you a second time uh but thanks so much i think that was very insightful uh with many tips and hints on uh how companies can improve uh their their culture their corporate culture and also the the way of uh, doing business and work together in a company so uh, thanks thanks so much uh, Mallory for thank you for having time. me yes 30 minutes gone by way too fast for this <laughs> <laughs> absolutely thanks so much and thanks uh, to the audience for watching uh, this episode I hope you liked it and you found it as insightful as I did and then I see you for a new episode of Pat's Chat probably next week thank you very much have a great day take care